Hello, and welcome to the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Cummings, founder of the jewellery brand Cleopatra's Bling. In season two of the Cleopatra's Bling podcast, we continue to meet the creatives and craftspeople who inspire our artisanal jewellery collections. Last season, we met with a beekeeper poet, a wild woman dancer, and a mermaid historian. This season, we begin a new series of journeys recorded from my home in Melbourne. Wherever you're listening from, this podcast invites you into those intimate conversations which bring tradition and practices from the past into the present. Our guest today is a publishing powerhouse in the age of a print renaissance. Having founded Lindsay Magazine in late 2017, the publication was initially digital only. However, just months later, she expanded to print issues, predicting the thirst that readers are showing for pieces that they can collect and hold. Named after her grandfather, the magazine is a transportive survey of arts, culture, people and places. This week, we're talking with Beth Wilkinson, founder, editor and creative director of Lindsay. I guess in a way, the way I think of it when I'm piecing together an issue is that like, how could we create you know, 160 pages that best take someone through a whole range of stories mm. that celebrate the world. Beth is based in Nam, Melbourne. As director of Oak Park Studio, she runs a creative practice that engages with international and local clients in custom publishing, branding, photography and web. She starts every day with a coffee and browses through magazines and books for creative inspiration, something that we both have in common. Her evenings are spent watching films to add to her online film catalogue, Very Good Films. We discussed finding ways to tune out the noise of the modern world, discovering the hidden life of a painter in Croatia and the importance of staying in touch with the seasons. Thank you so much, Beth, for being with us. We're very excited to have you on the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. In Collingwood, Australia, Victoria, Australia. Start of autumn, so in Melbourne. You can feel it, can't you? Yeah, you can really feel it. Yeah, it's a really beautiful time of year. I think autumn's my favourite season. And you're having a baby in autumn. I am, I know. And that was something I recently thought about because I was doing a yoga class and she was like, talking to us about the season. Our babies would have been born in, and I just thought that was really beautiful too. That's lovely. Yeah. So congrats. It's your Thank first you. baby, isn't Thank it? you. It is. Amazing. So let's just dive straight in, and I wanted to ask you what culture means to you. Sure. Well, I think for me culture means so many different things. I think it's an interplay between place and people and different ideas and a certain time and everything that's happening around that and how they all sort of speak to one another so yeah I think there's just so much in there and there are just so many stories within that and I think I mean it's a really sort of complex thing there's obviously like different sorts of cultures and subcultures and yeah like you said like you know that's perhaps how I interpret it if I think about what it means but you know, so many people have different interpretations. But, yeah, I think definitely that that coming together of ideas in a specific time and place definitely feels like that is that is what brings different cultures to life, I think. Did you find that there was a lack of these kinds of subjects being 
addressed or was it just generally because you wanted to put your love into something that you'd always been passionate about? I think probably a bit of both. both. <laughs> yeah, I think a bit of both. And I see that, like, even recently we hosted this amazing event in Ecuador. I'm not sure if you saw I it. I saw. And yeah. it was to celebrate one of the cover stories of our new issue about this amazing family in the Andes who are, like, reviving this traditional weaving technique. And the and story... Did you, did you go? I didn't go, no. And I, I mean, obviously not this time, but have you been, I should say? I haven't been, no. And I would have... It's one of the things that, like, I w- would have loved to have been there for this event had, mm. you know, borders been open and maybe my baby wasn't due so soon <laughs> as well. Um, also could have imp- impacted it. But, you know, I worked with Andreas, the photographer, to bring the event to life and obviously, like, connected digitally while that was happening. And... I think for me, like during moments like that, it really reminds me how important these ideas and these stories are to me. Like Mm. when I see things like that happening and I watch these people who are so passionate about what they do and it's, you know, you're learning about something that is so different from your own world and something that's really important that we want to like exist in the world, like, you know, into the future. And a lot of those things are at risk. And so... For me, yeah, moments like that, it just becomes so clear, like, why I started Lindsay and why it is mm. the way it is. And yeah. it just kind of brings this unexplainable joy, joy. when I see those sorts of That's things. That's how I feel when I'm working, like, with artisans that I work with in Turkey or Bali or India. Yeah. I'm like, this is why I don't have a middleman doing this for me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I, it is something that, like, feels very, like, something I'm really naturally engaged with and curious about and then I think also yeah I don't think that there are similar titles to Lindsay on the market yeah I don't think from my experience I'm not a magazine expert but I haven't seen many things like it yeah like you have like travel magazines Mm. which are just like kind of like of a whole different yeah realm and like like I think some people sometimes identify Lindsay as a travel magazine but really it's not so much about travel but more something that's suited to people who are curious about mm. learning about the world. And, you know, it's irrespective. You don't like, we're never sort of in the magazine recommending places yeah. to stay or things like yeah. that, but it's more about, I guess, you know, perhaps maybe some people that are really interested in travel would also be interested in Lindsay because of the nature of the stories being mm. from around the world and yeah, exploring different cultures and celebrating different cultures. So For me, it was really important to create something that could speak to those stories that maybe aren't getting published in other platforms and also just something that really felt very diverse in the way that it represented different places as opposed to... The same old, like... Yeah, again, like sometimes Mm. you have, like, you know, magazines, which, you know, I really respect and admire for what they do, like titles like Monocle, but you know, they are kind of like catering to like a really specific demographic who are interested in a certain thing in certain different places. And so they're the stories they'll cover as Mm. opposed to, I guess, something that I think makes Lindsay more specific is that we won't look for the same story in different countries, but rather like it's actually kind of the opposite of like what actually is something that makes this story unique to this place. You know, we're not going to find the same story in somewhere else because it's so place specific specific. yeah Mm. exactly that's good I think it's interesting because it feels like it from my perspective 
curiosity breeds curiosity as well. So like you can't absolutely make people curious about things that they're not exposed to without exposing them to it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you need to. Yeah. And it keeps sort of growing. And as you learn something and that draws you in, then yeah, you become more open-minded. And so then that might lead to something else. Yeah. Or you may hear of a country you've never heard of before, which it's a whole different, you know, set of values and, and cultural practices in those places. It's great. I found that in Istanbul, I got exposed to, through working in the Grand Bazaar, I learnt so much about Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, all the, mm. you know, ex-Soviet Union yes. countries and then Afghanistan for the lapis lazuli and Iran for the turquoise. And, you know, in Australia, you don't hear about any of that stuff. No. So, yeah, that Not at all. completely changed my perspective on a lot of things. And, yeah, it's, it's something that's so, like, there are all these different things that, so many of us would be so interested in, but we're just not exposed well, to that's it. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah. Would you say curiosity is your main value? I mean, it's it's definitely something that I, you know, speak to a lot and, and, and I feel intuitively perhaps also just kind of similar but different, I think, like open-mindedness. Like, yeah. I guess the curiosity is what makes you want to learn. And then the open-mindedness, I guess, allows you to sort of absorb you know, all the stories and the information Mm. in a way, like we all have like naturally our own biases that come to those things. But I guess in like having as least of that as possible, which I feel like is really important. Especially today with like all the stuff going on in the media that's so like we get infested by what the media posts. So I think it's really important to have like a counterculture that speaks truth without any of the, you know, the hidden agendas. It's really important. Yeah. And I think one way... I've always been really conscious of that since I started the magazine and I think one of the best ways for me to feel like I'm able to bring as little of my own personal bias as possible to the magazine is by working with a really diverse contributor base and Mm. really collaborating with them in a way that, you know, there's definitely like some elements which is like, you know, Lindsay has a strong vision and it's my role, I guess, as the editor to work with contributors to make sure things feel in line with that vision, but then ultimately ensuring that those contributors have a really strong voice themselves. And that I think is what kind of creates that feeling like it's not coming from one person or one opinion or one idea. Mm. And that's hard now because you often don't know what you're reading. Absolutely. In the media. So yeah, definitely. So did anything from your childhood or anybody, I should say, inspire you to delve into people's stories more? Yes, I think growing up, I definitely like spent quite a bit of time traveling. Both of my parents were really curious travelers. And so that naturally I was like exposed to different different cultures quite early on. And then on top of that, the magazine's named after my grandfather. And I published a story about that in the in the latest issue about him specifically. That was something that I've always wanted to write, but just wanted to find the right issue. Yeah. Um, I was very close to him growing up and just the most curious person about learning about like literally just always reading books and like encyclopedias and like, <laughs> yeah, subscribed to like National Geographic and always watching David Attenborough films and yeah, he was a self-taught photographer and um, oh, nice. spent a lot of time traveling different parts of the world and taking photos and like built his own dark room and learn how to 
develop them and everything and so yeah his story is pretty inspiring and I think you know I was lucky enough to go on a couple of trips with him to like the Northern Territory and to see the way he interacted with you know new places mm. um I think like at the time I was probably much less inspired by it I think when you're a child you're like you know he would be like telling me all the different breeds of the birds and all this sort of stuff and I think when you're quite young that's something that's like, much Come less on, grandpa yeah <laughs> totally and much less interested in yeah and you know I just remember feeling very hot on that holiday and I know I didn't want to go on all the walks but then I think undoubtedly those things really just like subconsciously like influence you you know when you're surrounded by that growing up and Mm. um like I mean apart from the fact that like I literally inherited his cameras and that's how I started taking photos um but I think yeah that sort of natural curiosity to to learn about the world you know it's hard for that to not impact you I think definitely I agree so when you hear a lot of different cultural stories I assume that has quite a, a big impact on your life do you feel that it has sort of changed the perspective you have on your own culture? I think it just encourages you to stay curious and stay open-minded. And Mm. for me, my knowledge growing up of like Australian history was like really little. So like that's something that I've definitely learnt more about, like, you know, practically like through the magazine, like through some of the stories that we've published. And then I think also it just like encourages you, like as you start understanding more. And I think, you know, there is a lot more happening in Australia now, a lot more awareness um, about, you know, our history as a country, which was never like, I mean, I don't know if it's taught in schools now, probably still not, but like definitely wasn't when I was at school. Mm. And and so it's kind of like we're all relearning. And I think when you hear different stories from all different cultures all over the world and, you know, you realise what is important in the past and the future and, Mm. you know, of different places and, humanity and it kind of encourages you to realize what things you need to learn about your own country yeah I found it sometimes overwhelming and sometimes empowering when I was overseas thinking about all the stuff that I had to learn in one lifetime Mm. I don't know if that happens to you when you're sort of finding subjects because I'm like oh my gosh if I like did a PhD I could do a PhD on literally one of these subjects and there would still be more to learn yeah and I guess it's just like life is just like this kind of constant journey of yeah, learning. Of le- it's um, very like exciting. And then sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, if I sat down and wrote a list of all the topics I want to learn about, I would never get through them all. Yeah. And so I guess it's just, you know, there are things that feel really important to mm. learn about. And then other things that like you're naturally curious about, which yeah. kind of just feel come easily. And Yeah. Yeah. So how do you pick the stories that you're featuring? Does it sort of unfold through gradual research or do you have like a, you know, a set theme before you approach the the contributors? So we don't do themed issues, but I guess in a way, the way I think of it when I'm piecing together an issue is that like the theme for every issue is like the world. And Mm. so it's like, how could we create, you know, 160 pages that, best take someone through a whole range of stories Mm. that celebrate the world and everything that means which is you know such a huge thing obviously but and you can never really do that in one issue but that's I guess the spirit that I go into with each issue so like often there are just stories that are brewing either in my head or like I've 
something's prompted it, which could be like a conversation with a contributor, like maybe they're going to visit a certain place or, you know, something like that. And so often there'll be like, you know, there'll be one story or even a few, and then it'll be like, okay, well, what parts of the world have we not really explored yet? What areas of different cultures? So like, you know, we don't want it to be too heavy on like food or literature or or different things. Um, And so, yeah, I'm always really interested to like, I guess, find as many different things. Mm. So you kind of, yeah, it feels like a better or a more diverse representation of what the world is actually like. Like a snapshot of the now in a way. Yeah. Like you've sliced it down the middle and whatever you found you're representing. Yeah. I like that. I like that there's no theme for some reason. It seems more organic. Yeah, like all these different stories which maybe you wouldn't learn about otherwise, like the story on the Honey Highway that Nick wrote with Stanislava and like that piece is not something, you know, like maybe if I was doing like a specific issue, like a food issue or something, then that might be something that might, you know, I might discover. But I like the idea that you can have like in the same issue that and then next to that, like in the same issue, there was this amazing story on these two Dungadi elders in northern New South Wales who had spent all this time reviving their language before it nearly became extinct and what the process of reviving a language looks like. And, you know, I love, yeah, that kind of diversity in an issue. And I think that, yeah, you never know kind of as you flip the page, like what you're going to find. And yet there's always this sort of continuous thread through the stories, which is, you know, that sort of sense of curiosity and Mm. that sort of, yeah, celebration of these really small but important, beautiful things that make the world as special as what it is. Yeah, gorgeous. So how do you inspire yourself then? Like how do you stay inspired? Um, Do you get inspiration exhaustion from reading so much about incredible things or do you just find that it leads to more inspiration? I probably don't feel like I get inspiration exhaustion I think probably all these things in, like continually inspire me I think probably I just get exhausted <laughs> <from laughs> all the other stuff that isn't inspiring like distribution logistics and all yeah, that sort of oh, stuff story of my life <laughs> um but printing <laughs> yeah exactly so that's it like I I need to kind of you know running a magazine is just like this there are so many different facets to my role and I think that's one thing that I've learned over the the past few years is that I need to constantly like check in and make sure that that's in balance because mm. as much as like all those logistics are really important to like how the magazine runs, that's not what will fuel me. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that doesn't have the same thing as like the event in Ecuador, which just like yeah. touches me in a way that I can't explain. Do you know what I mean? So I think for me it is about carving out enough space to just like be able to like research stories and learn about things that inspire me and remind me do you know what I mean why this is so important yeah um so yeah that is like literal things to do with the magazine to do with the stories but then also things like like I'm really inspired by film and by cinema mm. I'm really inspired by like traveling I'm inspired by people like I think connecting with people where again like if you're 
sort of like head down in work mode for too long then yeah, you and you're forget. not connecting with people then like I mean that's why you're doing these things you know so mm. I think get constantly remaining in check to see that I've got all those things yeah cool so you're obviously a designer mm-hmm. and so how has owning a creative design studio affected the magazine have you found it facilitated it a lot I guess just like on like a like a practical level like I publish the the magazine through the studio the studio designs the magazine but then I think in terms of like my background in design I think the way that that influences my process and also like the outcome of what the magazine is like is perhaps through the way that I think and process things and I think I'm a really visual person so I spend a lot of time like with any project that I'm working on but particularly the magazine like even from the inception of Lindsay, like really visualizing everything. And I'm not just like talking about the visuals, like on a literal sense, but it's like visualizing like who Lindsay is and like who the reader is and like what it means mm. and what the stories would be like and what someone feels when they're moving through each mm. story. And like the journey of the, the readership in a way. Yeah, totally. And I think just you know, that's the way I work. Like, I mean, just, I can imagine things in quite a lot of detail and yeah, just that, that whole experience. And so I think for me trying to create like who Lindsay was sort of almost like as if he or she was a person and then also, yeah, think about each issue. Perhaps there is more of a designer sensibility to that. Mm, That's lovely. So, Of all the stories you've published, which one has changed your personal perspective on the world the most? I know that's a hard question. Um, Actually, it's a really easy question. Oh, really? Yes. Um, Because there are so many stories that have, like, really moved me and inspired me and and definitely, like, changed my perspective on something. But I think the story that has, like, personally touched me, like, the most... Um, was an interview we did with a Croatian painter in issue two. His name is Stipe Nobilo. And it's it's, it's almost impossible for me to do justice to the story without someone reading the story. But You'll need to link us so we can share in the newsletter that goes out with this podcast. Yeah, it's really just the most, in essence, it was like a story I discovered because I was in Croatia. My partner's Croatian. And um, we were on like this small island and we were drinking a bottle of wine and I bought the bottle of wine because it had this beautiful wine label. And then I was just like reading the label out of curiosity to see if it said who the artwork was by. And then we like Googled the painter and it turned out that he was like a local painter on that small island that we were on. And then I got my partner's mother to like contact him and because she can speak Croatian, essentially... Like he told us just to like, and this was even like, even the fact that we were calling him, it was like, this was through like a couple of calls to galleries and they just gave him us his phone number and because he doesn't have an email account and he doesn't have a website. And it's just like the antithesis to like the way we work in the modern world, which is just, I think what draws me to the story so much. And he essentially on the phone just told my mother-in-law, yeah, drive up tomorrow to my house and just tell the taxi driver that you're going to Stipper Nabila's house. They'll know which one it is. It's just between the palm tree and the chapel. And so we did that and we got in the car and then we went there and there was just like 
his neighbors offering us fresh tomatoes on the way and it was just like this other world like it was also utopian and um when we got there we you know it was like 9 a.m and he's like bringing out his homemade rakia which is like oh the Croatian spirit <laughs> yeah. and it was just this really beautiful story of like someone who was so connected to the land of where like he was so like he you know would go out fishing and he had his own little vineyard there where he would grow his own grapes and make his own wine and mm, um beautiful you know just this idea and he, he he lived off his paintings he essentially painted the mediterranean these beautiful landscapes of the mediterranean ocean kind of kind of reminiscent to me of like a kendone sort of mm. style and but you know he could have being someone that just like could have traveled more to like New York and Paris and all these places. But instead he was just, you know, he was able to live off his painting and be there and like just live Live that life. life, Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he wanted to do. And I think growing his own vegetables and all this sort of stuff. And I think for me, that idea, it's so in contrast to, I think, yes, so many things in modern society, which Mm. don't really feed us and don't really inspire us. And I see that kind of life and, like, for me, that's kind of the type of life I want to live and, you know, like, I want to create. Like, that feels really important to me, but I also, I don't want all the other stuff that can go with sometimes, like, losing your sense of self or, like, you know, becoming, I don't know, not grounded or... The noise of the modern world as well. Yeah, totally. Lose yourself a bit. Yeah, like, I'm constantly sort of looking at ways to you know like since doing that interview like I last year I read the book Walden I don't know if you know of that book but that also kind of talks a lot it's essentially a book that a philosopher wrote about you know going and living by this pond with like really minimal things and I'm just really drawn to that idea of kind of less noise and and noise that doesn't help you it doesn't feed us in any way doesn't feed humanity doesn't feed the world and Mm. focusing I guess on what's important simple life yeah I think that like became really important for a lot of people during COVID yeah absolutely I think you know it kind of makes you question like what brings you joy and what's important to you and you know I think for a lot of people like something that became really apparent is just like the importance of community you know community and also I think a lot of things fell away so a lot of sort of sort of superfluous things in your life were no longer yeah important yeah totally because you couldn't access them so it was yeah it was it was interesting time what do you do you think that COVID-19 has really impacted storytelling or I should probably rephrase that and say what's the importance of storytelling during a world pandemic in your opinion well I guess it's been a really powerful way for people to stay connected Mm. um I think that's something that's definitely been proven and I know for myself personally like you know last year being in lockdown like in that heavy lockdown in Melbourne when I was putting together issue five and I was like at that time like digitally connecting with like my contributors around the world and they were going through different experiences of the pandemic and I think that even just like that connection brought us together and then I think hearing these stories and working on them during that time for me felt really lucky because I think it felt less much less isolating yeah and it kind of also inspires you and connects you Mm. and I think you know for that reason like storytelling has been amazing during the pandemic and I think it's one of the 
benefits, I think, of the sort of where we're at technologically in terms of, Mm. like, that being able to, like, support people being able to stay connected where often technology can take away from human connection but in that time it actually was able to enhance it. Definitely. I feel like it empowers people as well because, you know, everyone's going through such a sort of big shift totally through this time absolutely yeah I feel the same with my work as well because we connect all over the world with different artisans and it was interesting Mm. like we have women on the black sea who do beading for us Mm. and that's a women's Mm. association and we're working on like a fundraiser Mm -hmm. for women's education in turkey yeah great so it was really interesting because they're all in lockdown beading on the black sea and I would be zooming from melbourne yeah so yeah it's just like completely everyone's different experience and being able to connect through that shared experience even though it's you know slightly different for everyone so interesting so I know just also you have a website verygoodfilms.co I do yes could you recommend a movie for our listeners or a couple um we can put them in the notes as well I can I definitely can recommending movies is like one of my favorite things which is why I created the website (laughs) um with with a friend in in New York a couple of my favorite films that are on the list that are accessible at the moment. One is Chunking Express, if there are people locally in Melbourne, Chunking Express, which is one Kawai film, they're doing a retrospective at Acme at the moment. Oh, and cool. so that's about to show. And that's perhaps my favorite one Kawai film. Beautiful. There's also Mustang on SBS. I don't know, have you seen Mustang? No, I've heard of it. It's set in Turkey, actually. Um, It's fun for me, then. It's, I mean, it's pretty bleak, um, so it probably needs to go in the morning. But it's also beautiful. Like, the cinematography is just absolutely stunning and it essentially, like, follows this story of, I think it's four or five sisters and their journey together. And it's just, it's a really beautiful film on sisterhood and culture and all sorts of things. But maybe if we want to counteract that with something more light, then maybe I would recommend Frances Ha. They're both on SBS at the moment, Great, actually, I need to. people in Australia. But, I mean, if you're in the States or somewhere around there, then usually most of these films are accessible on one of their many yeah. streaming platforms. Beautiful. Okay, wonderful. Thanks for being with us. I'm really excited to publish this particular episode. Yeah, thanks Share it so much listeners. for having me and so nice to also like learn a little bit more about like different parts of your process too Mm. and different stories quite similar but very different totally about you know working with yeah different people and and how that influences like obviously yours all comes through in your jewelry and yeah you know mine comes through in these sort of stories but yeah I think there's definitely a lot of parallels a lot thanks a lot Beth all right thanks so much Thank you for listening to my conversation with Beth on the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. For more information on Beth, follow her on Instagram at Lindsay Magazine. And be sure to check out the next issue of Lindsay available both online and in stores. This podcast was produced by Zoltan Fecho and the Cleopatra's Bling team with original music by Cameron Alva. If you liked the show, share it with a friend and leave us a few stars on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're signed up to the newsletter on cleopatrasbling.com to keep up with the newest updates on all things Cleopatra's Bling. Until next time, stay curious.
next time on the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. I mean, in Austro, definitely there's a recipe for aliotta, which is my grandma's fish soup, I call it. Um, but it just is like a Maltese fish soup. And yeah, those recipes are really special because, mm. you know, my mum hasn't written any of them down and a lot of them are just passed on orally. Yeah. And I do feel more and more as I grow up and as my mum, my own mum gets older, I feel like this responsibility to document them. Yeah. Thanks for listening and see you next month.